welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. So as you know, we started a series on Ecclesiastes last week. And um, I'm going to take a few moments to bring everyone up to speed real quick, just in case you weren't here on July 4th. Um, And also just as some reminders of some of the things that pull Ecclesiastes together and where we're kind of headed in this journey through the book. Step back. First of all, it's one of the books of wisdom. And I've, I've given my books of wisdom characters. I haven't figured all of them out yet. But so far I have Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Proverbs, one of our books of wisdom, She is that friend that you love to have over and be around. She's always positive. She has tons of followers on Instagram and Facebook. She puts these perfect little quips, little nuggets of wisdom up that we can all relate to and follow, and life is wonderful when we do so. Ecclesiastes is that friend you do not want to invite to your dinner party. They are going to be a big wet blanket on everything, Um, but they're the person that every once in a while you really want to go have coffee with because you know what they're going to say and what they're going to share with you is going to be truthful and it's going to be impactful and it's going to be important. But you're going to walk away from that coffee emotionally and mentally drained. So I'm going to try to make sure that we don't walk away from the service today emotionally and mentally drained after we have visited with Ecclesiastes for a while today. But it gets pretty deep and heavy in here. So, But, but I promise on the other end, we're going to definitely um, look at it from a different perspective. They're both people. They're both voices that we need to have in our lives. And God speaks through both of those voices. Just to refresh your memory also, one of the things that we um, are talked about in this um, ser- uh, series is hevel. And the, the word that you'll hear frequently in Ecclesiastes is meaningless. And that's just not a really good translation of the word. Hevel is smoke. And it is that thing that we can see, but we can't catch it. We also hear frequently in Ecclesiastes chasing the wind. It's that futile effort. Um, It's something that we can see, but we can't grasp, we can't take a hold of. Hevel has become my new favorite word around my house. Like, I'll start doing something like, oh, this is hevel. So (laughs) it's a great word. I suggest you work it into your vocabulary a little bit. It's got a lot of, it sounds really good when you're frustrated. Um, (laughs) Better than other words. So today we're going to talk about work. And according to Ecclesiastes, it is hevel. I'm also going to hope that by the end of the sermon, you do not want to go in tomorrow and quit your job, um, that, that we're going to kind of land in a place where we can see where that value and what it comes from. And by work, I don't just mean what you're compensated for or what you're paid for. I'm talking about all those things paid and unpaid. Um, when you get home from work, you don't stop working. There's still dinner to be fixed. There's chores to be done around the house. There are kids' activities to go to. Um, There is kids to bathe, to put to bed. There's all these routines. There's all these things that we do. That's all our work. It's all the things that don't stop. It's the chores, the busyness, can even be our hobbies to a certain extent, our kids' activities. But they're all the things that we do in order to construct and control and direct the outcomes in our lives. 
We were created in God's image. We were created to work. We were created to be co-workers, co-creators, and co-stewards of his creation. This is part of who we are and who we are is um, in, created in God's image. But Ecclesiastes points out how we have reoriented away from God's intent. And we've oriented towards our own intent and our own definition and what we think is going to work best. So let's start. We're going to uh, be reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Please stand for the reading of the word of God as you're able. Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has never been born, who has never seen the evil that is done under the sun. And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, is hevel, a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. You may be seated. So Ecclesiastes, in our examination of what it talks about and, and how it relates to work, is asking this, makes us ask this series of questions. Where is my life going? What brings fulfillment in life? Why am I working so hard? Is it worth it? What am I living for? But according to what I just read, it's all hevel. It's all meaningless. So let's step back a little bit and look at what God is trying to reorient us to and what he's trying to get us to understand through this word. The first three verses start off heavy and hard. They go straight for oppression. Um, there's no punches pulled in this particular scripture. It says, Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. Anytime in Ecclesiastes, when it refers to under the sun, it means since the fall. It means since sin has entered the world. And I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. And power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. It's easy to think of an oppressor as being the evil genius or some tyrannical um, leader. And that surely is true. There are that oppression can start from very high up and work its way down. But oppression can take place on a, a very local, on a very individual level as well, as well. Oppression is any time that we try to control or manipulate people or resources for our own gain, for our own reason. And we can see that done on a macro level, and we can do that ourselves on a micro level as well. And it relates to work because it's, that means that people are being exploited through someone's work, that somehow that work has become a means of exploitation, a means of oppression. 
My oldest son, when he was in sixth grade, went with the youth group here to a camp called CFAT in Alabama, Servants in Faith and Technology. They learn a lot about missions and uh, just, it's a great, great experience for them. And when he went for the first time, when he was in sixth grade, and when he came back, um, he was telling me about what he had learned that week. And he explained to me that he had learned that in, in sin and unjust, the, the ramifications, the consequences of sin is poverty and injustice. Because when you have someone who exploits, who takes advantage, who commits crimes, the consequence of that falls down and it impacts everyone below that. And the consequences are that people live in sin and poverty and oppression and injustice continues. And I remember thinking, wow, that's a lot for a 12-year-old boy (laughs) to get out of one week of camp. Um, But it gives us an idea of how oppression occurs, where it starts, and how it truly can have tremendous consequences throughout all of creation. And like I said, Ecclesiastes dives right in and starts to look at that from this dark side of work. It goes straight in and starts looking at the results of evil and oppression. And it reminds us that if we stare at that brokenness for a long time, it gets really hard. And so then we have to distract ourselves. And I think that sometimes that distraction becomes more work. It becomes more busyness. And it just creates this cycle of, 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 of our, the way we uh, allocate our time, of how we do things. One of the things that I think is most important about these first couple of verses is it refers to the tears of the oppressed. And scripture says, and they have no comforter. And then it goes on to say, and power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. God is just as concerned about the oppressors as he is about the oppressed. He is seeking after both of our hearts. He's seeking after both of those. There isn't an exception to it. And I think that's an amazing and a beautiful thing to to grasp onto. Work is how we try to convince ourselves that we have control over anything. If we work hard enough, we can fix it. We can keep something bad from happening. And if we stay busy enough, if we just work hard enough, we can prevent a tragedy from happening. I see it sometimes in the media when something tragic will happen, and it can be kind of almost just a random, horrible, tragic circumstance. And the media will dig into, well, this is how you can prevent it, and this is what you can do. And I think it's our culture's desire to try to hold on to, well, if maybe I just do all these things, then those bad things will never happen to me or my family. And that's not always true. Ecclesiastes makes that really clear. We can do everything right, and it can still go pretty wrong. As we keep going through in verse 4, it says... And then I saw that all toil and all achievements spring from one person's envy of another. And I think that verse, that word envy is really important. And I don't think it's talking about just envy of stuff. 
as a motivator. I think what it's really talking about is that envy of prestige, of power, of security. It's something deeper inside of us. It's that deep-rooted sense of security that's the result of comparing ourselves to others. You can trace a lot of sin in Scripture back to that. Eve wanted more wisdom. Cain and Abel, look at all the stories of people who compared themselves to someone else and thought they were lacking. They thought that somehow they were defined by scarcity instead of by God's abundance and love. That somehow God was limited and would not be able to meet their needs. That somehow there just isn't enough of God to go around. That you have to fight and you have to grab and you have to work so hard for your share. And we internalize that so deeply and then it manifests itself as competition, as excelling, as working to a degree that isn't healthy or the way that we treat people. That's how it all ties back into oppression. That's how work can become, make us an oppressor or the oppressed, excuse me, oppressed. That envy drives us to work in an attempt to provide ourselves with an identity and a source of worth and power. We're trying to justify our existence somehow. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. This, this is not what we were created for. It's not what God intended work to be. We were created in that image of God. We were designed to, be, to work and to be creative. We weren't designed to do nothing. When the kingdom is restored, we will be filled and designed and we will have a purposeful living and be creative. I don't really know what that looks like, but I know that it means we will be engaged in purposeful work alongside God when the kingdom is restored on earth. That work and creativity has to reflect God instead of our inner sin. And this is important. We can't create that identity. We can only receive it. It has to come from God, and it can't come from us. If we try to do it on our own, it is hevel, and we are chasing after the wind. Ecclesiastes goes on, Ecclesiastes goes on in verse 5 and 6, and those verses are kind of intended to be more like a riddle. There's something that you should read, and you should grab a cup of tea or coffee, and you should sit down and ponder for a little while. It says, Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and give up. There's three different words, Hebrew words, used for hands and handful in this, this particular riddle. The first, when it says, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves, the actual word is actually referring to from your fingertip 
to here. It's the yod. Um, it's not just your hand, but it's all the way up. So as I'm talking about this, I'm going to do, do the gestures. So think about when we fold our hands and ruin themselves. We've just shut ourselves off from other people. We've said that we're not going to work. We're not going to pursue. We're just going to be content to just sit here and be self-involved, basically. Better one handful with tranquility. And this particular word is cough, and it means open palm. So better one handful with the open palm, which goes back to the sermon series, with tranquility, with peace, with rest. Then two handfuls, and this particular word is hopin'. And it means more like this, and it's the, the motion you have when you're grabbing, when you're holding on to something. If they're hollowed out handfuls, they're grabbing fistfuls. And when we're grabbing, we're obsessed with work or busyness. And it's exhausting. We're always looking for the next thing or achieving the next goal, and that can apply to our work, it can apply to our family, it can apply to any situation that we find ourselves in. Nothing and no one is good enough. We think we will finally be happy when we achieve that next promotion, get the right house, our children get in, make the right team, or get into the right school, and there's a never-ending process to it. We never find peace because our identity is wrapped up in those things. We operate like we can achieve ultimate happiness and fulfillment under the sun. And I think it leads to two things, despair and blame. We blame ourselves, or we blame others, or we blame God, or maybe we blame all three. But that grabbing takes so much energy, and it all comes from us, and it reflects what we're trying to take. When our palms are open with tranquility and rest, we are working, and it begins from a place of rest. God worked for six days, and then he rested. When we receive communion, as we hold our hands like this and hold them open to receive, and it's a reminder that it all comes from God, it's all a gift from God. We learn that we can't control life, and we need to quit trying. When we hold things with an open hand, we enjoy the moment. I mentioned last time I was in here that uh, we lived in Greece for a year, and I'm going to tell another Greece story today. I've decided that living in another culture for a year is a great opportunity to make you look at your own and look at some of the weird things that we do sometimes and make you re-examine things. But we had wonderful Greek neighbors in Greece who um, invited us over for holidays, for dinners, were just very much a part of our lives while we were there. And um, they were um, probably a couple about my age now, um, probably in their late 40s, early 50s, had two grown children who still lived at home. They, by American standards, would be considered poor. By Greek standards where we lived, they were pretty wealthy. They had a new car. Now, granted, all four of them shared that one car. Um, they lived in about a, probably about a 1,200, 1,500-square-foot home, no air conditioning, 
but they had grapes, they had olive trees, they had chickens, they had all the things that they needed. And they owned a clothing store in town, a children's clothing store. So not wealthy, but very well taken care of by, by where they lived. We were over there for dinner one time, and I think it was actually when we were making wine. And so we had been doing that all day. We've been picking our grapes and doing all that, and we're sitting down, and every time you sat down at a Greek meal, there was food. I mean, I'm talking plates stacked on top of plates. I mean, just food, and then, then all the women just kept bringing it out and just kept coming. But we're sitting there, and our neighbor's name was Sakara, and I remember queuing into this part because most of the time I was pretty lost in the conversation because 95% of it took place in Greek, but he spoke English. And at this point, he started speaking English. And he said, I don't know why you crazy Americans work so hard. He goes, you work, work, work. He goes, look at what I have. I have food on the table. I have a roof over my head, and I have good wine. What more? The wine's important over there. <laughs> Could throw in Rocky as well. That was probably, he probably said Rocky as well. But, um, but that's all he needed. That was it. He was like, why would I work any more than what I'm doing? Because if I did, then I would never be able to enjoy all of this to be with my family, to be with my friends, to have this gathering, to be able to do this, to just live in that moment. And the word for that is endoxy. And in Greek, um, it's a word that you use a lot. It's one of those words, too. It's probably like Hevel that I've actually incorporated into my vocabulary, and I, it's probably the one word that I still use 20 years later. Endoxy is something that I would say to my son when he would fall down. It means it's okay, it's all going to be okay. He would fall down, I would say, endoxy, and you kind of have to say it like that. It's like, endoxy. It could happen if you bumped into someone, their and you would say, I'm sorry, and their response back to you would be endoxy. But I remember Zachara just pointing to everything and going, endoxy. It's all okay. Literally with open hands. He was there ready to receive those blessings, to just enjoy those blessings. And he knew where they came from. He knew that those were a gift from God. He knew that there was nothing that he was doing in particular. He had seen some very difficult times in his lifetime. His, his parents had been born, or he was born shortly after World War II. He was hungry for a large part of his life. But now, it was all here. And that's just a beautiful way to live life. It taught me a lot living over there. It taught me about embracing the moment, enjoying the moment, and just being there for the moment. Why drive yourself to work to exhaustion and never be able to enjoy the very things that you've worked for? And what we're left with is to examine our life and our work under the sun. The state of things since Adam and Eve left Eden Ecclesiastes' purpose is to help reorient us. But what's the solution? I told you I was going to try not to leave you in a dark place at the end of this. So here's the solution. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest.
for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is what work is supposed to look like. Jesus doesn't say that we won't have a yoke, that we won't have work, that we won't have a burden. He just says that through him, when we orient ourselves and our hearts and our minds towards him, then that burden becomes light, becomes something that we can embrace with joy. The purpose of Ecclesiastes is not so that we'll lose all hope. It exposes the reality of life under the sun and shows us where our hope must lie. Our hope must lie in that solution, and that solution is Christ. But it helps us to be humble, to understand that we have to rely on Jesus. Work can't provide you with your identity. You can't make it. You can't take your identity from somewhere. You must receive it, and it has to be in Christ. When we try to do all of this on our own, when we think we can fix it, when we think we can orchestrate it, and we think we have some control, that's our sin. That's our pride. That's our not being oriented towards God. The solution is Jesus came to be with us here on earth to walk among us, to teach us, to heal us, and to die for our sins. Jesus, of his own free will, took our burdens, our sin, and took that away on the cross. He took our sin to the cross and conquered sin and death so that we may receive new life under the sun. That means we have new life now and we have new life yet to come. We have the opportunity to experience God's love and his grace and his mercy in beautiful ways here on earth. Are things still going to go wrong? Are bad things going to happen? Yes. We're still living under the sun. But coming is a time when God's kingdom is restored through Christ. And there will be no more sin. There will be no more brokenness. There will be no more envy. There will be no more oppression and injustice. Now we have something that we can rely on that's eternal and true. It's not Hevel. It's the word of God, God speaking to us, reaching into our lives, working within our lives now to help reorient us towards him, to give us a better path to go on, to give us a better way to approach the way we work, the way we live, the way we care for each other. And just in case Proverbs makes you think that you have some control over it, some control over the outcome, Ecclesiastes makes you look at that a little bit closer. Proverbs tends to kind of make us think, well, if you follow this formula, you're going to be blessed, and it's all going to work out, and things are going to be great. So when things go bad, we don't understand, and we don't have a way to reconcile it. 
Ecclesiastes is helping us to reorient and take into account all of that stuff that goes bad for the pain and the loss that we experience here on earth. Ecclesiastes ensures that we understand that even when we think we are doing it right, envy and sin creeps in. It creeps in in the form of oppression, and it creeps in and causes us to be an oppressor. But God is seeking to comfort us. He is waiting for us to respond, to open our hands to his will, his love, and his grace. Spoiler alert. At the end of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 12, verse 13, here's how it all ends. I'm just going to tell you now. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. That's where, we, that's where we're supposed to end up. We've got to look at all this other stuff because we've got to look inside us. We've got to look at the injustice that's prevalent within our society. We can't close our eyes to those things. But in the end, we're called to fear God and keep his commandments. There is hope, and that hope lies entirely in God and in Jesus' death and resurrection. It does not lie in our abilities, our efforts, our attempts to create or take something. It comes to us because we have open hands and hearts and minds to God's love. It comes to us in beautiful ways through Jesus' death on the cross because our sin, our burdens are taken away and we now have his yoke and his burden. And it's beautiful and easy and a pleasure to carry. And that is the work that we were intended to do. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.